Two hours northwest of Basking Ridge is a small town in upstate New York called Glenspie. Now, the only reason people know the location of Glenspie, New York, is because it houses the Young Life Camp Lake Champion. Now, if you're not familiar with Young Life, they're a parachurch organization that ministers primarily to unchurched teenagers. And a key strategy to reach teens is to take them to camp. In fact, if you go on their website, the stated goal of camp is to get them outside their normal environment, take them to a fabulous campground so they can have the best week of their life, and at the same time be challenged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, every Young Life campground has amazing activities. There's things like high ropes courses and zip lines and lake tubing. At Lake Champion, which I've been to, they have a giant swing. Looks a, bit, a little bit like this. Now, just, just to picture this, a number of years ago, we took our youth group there, and we experienced this giant swing. The swing is about as tall as the peak of this sanctuary, If you, just to give you a visual of how tall it is. It seats three people, as you can see. You've got to put on helmets and harnesses. And once you get strapped in, what they do is slowly, very, very slowly, they raise you all the way up until you're as high, almost as high as the top of our ceiling here in the sanctuary. And if you're somebody out there who's afraid of heights right now, you're closing your eyes in fear. When you're at the top, you are waiting with anticipation for that swing to move. It's a mixture of of fear and excitement, depending on who you are. Now, of the three of you, one person um, is designated, is tasked with pulling the release lever so that you can start swinging. So after a few moments, once you're all ready, you're checking out, are you ready, are you ready, are you ready? The person on the end's like, no, I'm not sure I'm not ready, but the person holding the release lever shouts, release! And then, whoosh, you start swinging through the air, wondering if you're going to live until the swing catches you and you go back and forth slowly, slowly, slowly as it takes you to the ground. It's quite the experience. Now, its, it's purpose is not just thrill-seeking. In fact, the first time I went to Lake Champion a number of years ago, the leaders explained to me the swing, the swing is there. It's an experience to embed faith in the muscles of teenagers and adults. <laughs> it provides a visceral reminder of what it means to trust God as you let go and trust in something else. So when you're paused at the top of the swing... When you release that lever, you have to trust, you have to have faith that the swing will catch you and keep you safe. It's a crucial element of spiritual warfare. Do we have faith in the power of God? When we get into battle, will he protect us? That's the question. Now, if you're just joining us this week, we are in week four of our series, SWAT, Spiritual Warfare and Tactics, and today we are going to examine the fourth piece of the armor of God, and that is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Now, the giant swing illustrates the tension we we often feel when we go into spiritual battle. And the tension we, we feel is this. Will we live in fear or will we live in faith? Because at the top of the swing, before the release, fear can very much capture you. In fact, you might be so afraid because you don't trust the swing that you're begging the person at the bottom, stop, stop, lower me down really, really slowly. I can't do this. You want to get off the swing. And in this spiritual battle, Satan's goal is to get you off the swing. He will do everything he can to keep you from trusting God with your life. He wants to stop you from accomplishing the purposes that God has laid before you. And that, friends, is why you need the shield 
That's why you need faith. Now, what exactly is faith? Well, the writer of Hebrews defines it this way. Hebrews 11.1, 1. now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the definition offered at the beginning of the great faith chapter in Hebrews 11. Faith is assurance for what's hoped for. It's something that you haven't seen yet. Faith often looks to the future, to something that is not, has not yet come. But faith is based on the character and promises of God. This faith here is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. In fact, the Greek word that's used here and in Ephesians 6 is the word pistis. It refers to an active faith, something you do. You trust God. You actively trust God every day. So after these verses, the author then walks you through a history of the Old Testament followers of God. The author reminds us what they did for God. Do you remember? If you've read the chapter, you know what they say? What uh, a phrase is repeated over and over again? How did each of these characters live? By faith. By faith, Abel offered his sacrifice to God. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he left his home to follow God and go out into the Negev. By faith, Sarah trusted God to be faithful. By faith, the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea. And then he talks about Gideon and Samson and David and Samuel, they accomplished great things for God. How? By faith. By faith. Where is God calling you to live by faith? Now, here's the tension of the Christian life. We know in our heads that we should live by faith, but so often we're paralyzed with fear. So many of us, right now, right now, you are sitting, you're you're, you're waiting, you're picturing yourself at the top of that swing, closing your eyes, hoping the trial you're walking through right now will just end. And I want to invite you into something today, and I want want to invite myself into something today. What if God has you at the top of that swing, whatever it is for you, because he wants to teach you to pull that release lever? What if he wants to show you what it really means to trust him by faith. Now, I'll just speak personally. For years, if you ask me, do you trust God? You trust God? I would have said, yeah, of course I trust God. Maybe some of you say, if I asked you, do you trust God? You say, yes. But then situations come in your life. For us, our family situation changed. We had a child with special needs, and then God has shown me just how little I actually trust him. And he's building that in my life slowly, painfully slowly. Because we know we should live by faith and often we live in fear. Often. Now as your pastor, I know there are many challenges each of you are facing. Some, some are known, some are unknown. In fact, I look at our prayer list each week and I see the amazing work our care team is doing and our Stephen ministry team is doing. And I know the needs. You know, there's, there's cancer diagnoses. This morning I got a call about somebody who might, have, might potentially need surgery. Career changes. How do you raise little kids? How do you support and love adult kids? Depression, financial hardship, aging bodies, uncertain futures, loved ones passing away, ethical demands at work. We are, in so many of us, we're at the top of the swing, and rather than living by faith with the assurance of God's power, we pray like the father of the boy in Mark 9. Do you remember that? Desperate father comes to Jesus His son is sick, asks if he can heal his son, and Jesus tells him, what do you mean? Of course, all things are possible for him who what? For him who believes. And then the father replies really honestly, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Are you there today? 
right? Are you living in fear or faith? That's why you need the shield, right? Try, turn with me once again to Ephesians 6, and we're going to look at verse 16, uh, as, as, as well as some supporting verses today. The shield, as we're going to see, is the only piece of the armor that tells you exactly what it will do. So when you're at the top of the swing and the enemy attacks, how do you fight fear? How do you combat unbelief? You learn and you live out three principles this piece of the armor teaches us. First, you got to take up the shield. Second, you got to expect the darts. And then third, you have to look up in faith. So before we dive into each of those, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us today. Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning, Lord. I pray for my friends who are here, who are watching, who are listening. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us, speak to the preacher this morning, Lord God. May your word come forward. May your spirit speak. May you meet us in a place of of our fear and turn our fear into faith, Lord God, as we look up and trust you. We give this time to you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so first, let's talk about the shield. It's the fourth piece of the armor, and already in the series, we've learned that we have an enemy with an army at his disposal. It's not just one enemy. Satan, he's got crafty schemes, many schemes, and his goal, make no mistake, is to take you out. He wants to make you ineffective for the kingdom, and if he can, he would love, he would love to take away your faith in Christ altogether. That is his goal. Now, Paul tells us in this spiritual war, we need weapons, right? So he talks about the armor of God. We've already covered the belt of truth, where we need to know the truth of God's word and the gospel. Second, we need, we need the breastplate of righteousness, right, to protect our hearts from injury. Last week we spoke, Chris came and spoke about the shoes of the gospel of peace. We need those so we can stand firm, right? Paul, Paul, Paul uses that phrase over and over again. We got to stand firm. And then we read this in Ephesians 6. 16, he says, in all circumstances, all, at all times, in all situations, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So the shield of faith is a crucial and powerful weapon against our enemy. And Paul gives us three very clear implications of the shield. First, he tells us when to use it. Then he tells us how to use it. And then he tells us the result of using it. So let me look at those really quick. First, when do you use the shield? If you see the phrase, in all circumstances, that's the ESV translation, we are to use this weapon all the time. There should never be a day when we wake up and leave the shield at our bedside. And too many of us, we we go throughout the day forgetting to bring the shield with us. Right now, it's sitting at home. He says you got to use it all the time. Second, how do you use it? Notice the phrase, take up. Now, you may remember in the opening section, Ephesians 6, 10 to 14, Paul uses the term, put on the armor of God, like clothes. But take up, that verb is in the active voice. This is, this, this is not armor to be put on like clothes. It's a weapon to be grasped. You got to pick it up. You got to take it up. When you get out of bed in the morning, immediately grab the shield of faith. Before you talk to your spouse, grab the shield of faith. Because the enemy is lurking, always. And that's crucial because, third, look at what it does. What's the result of using it? You have the ability to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. I'll say more about that in the next section, but I want you to notice how amazing is that, right? When you take up that shield of faith, you have the ability to stop Satan in his tracks. That's the power. Now, when, when you combine the image of the shield and the power of faith, you have an indispensable weapon 
in your arsenal for this spiritual war. So let's talk a little bit more about the shield of faith. What is it? Where did Paul get the image? Did you know this is the only place in the entire Bible where the words shield and faith are combined? Only place in the whole Bible. Paul is being really creative here with a new image. It's significant. So let's, let's pay attention here. Faith in this context is acting like God is telling the truth. You trust in God's power and his assurances about our identity in Christ. Trust in God's power, not ours. Assurance about our identity because of Christ's work. That's crucial because we talked already. How does Satan attack us? He wants us to doubt God's power and goodness. He wants us to forget about the cross. He wants us to trust in ourselves, not him. And so we need a shield against those lies. Now, where did Paul get the shield image from? Other pieces of the armor could find allusions in, as I mentioned before, in the divine warrior image of Isaiah, but most commentators think the shield right here was taken directly from the Roman soldiers of Paul's day. He's, got, he's thinking about them right here. And there was two different types of Roman shields. First, Roman soldiers had a small shield if they were riding cavalry horses, right? They needed a small maneuverable shield as they were, they were riding into battle, but there was another much larger shield used by Roman foot soldiers when going into battle and storming a city. And that's the shield that Paul has in mind here. See, when we think about shield, oftentimes we're thinking about a little one, like my friend right here. Like, all right, I got a shield, I got a sword. How about these guys, right? They're joining us this week for the next few weeks. Nice shield right here. That's going to protect me. That's not the type of shield Paul's talking about. I, I'll give you another example. This is, this is about how big the shield was. Right there. Now, the Roman shield, the Roman foot soldier shield, was anywhere from two and a half feet wide and four to six feet tall, depending on how tall you were. So all of you six foot five people out there, this is your shield right here. All right? And the point is that you, you could, it was so big that when you're storming the city, you could get behind the shield. You could hide behind the shield of faith. Paul also makes the point of saying often that we are called to stand together. Stand together. You know, and that means that this is a whole uh, church effort. It's not just something we do individually, but something we do together. So I put the NBC logo here to remind us that this is, we, we raise our shields together. We interlock them. When the Roman soldiers were storming the city, you can see this image on the screen, they would come together, they would put their shields side by side so that when the arrows were coming and the flaming arrows were coming, they would hit the shield and they would be protected, the whole army. Now, the other thing that you have to know is that the, 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 uh, the, the, the uh, things that were being thrown at these armies were flaming darts, flaming arrows. They look kind of like this. So a soldier could get completely behind this shield, but as the flaming arrows were coming, they were a common weapon in the ancient world, they, they would hit the front of the shield. So if they're on fire. Is the shield going to catch on fire? No, because what they did was they would actually take a canvas and then put calfskin on top of it, kind of like this. They would wrap the shield with this canvas and calfskin. When the flaming arrow would hit the shield, this calfskin had a property that would put out the fire. It would extinguish it. That's how powerful the shield was. It was thick. It was like a two, two pieces of wood put together. It was reinforced with iron. It could face the hardest and the strongest of weapons that would come out of it. Do you see why this was such a powerful, protective weapon? It was really, really powerful. And the Roman soldiers used this when they were attacking a city. As they were approaching the walls, that's when the archers would shoot, the arrows would rain down, and they had to get behind the shield as they're storming the city. Otherwise, they will be taken out before they were in the fiercest part of the battle. 
powerful, powerful weapon. They knew their shields would protect them. Now, do you see why Paul chose this image for Ephesians 6? The shield provided complete protection from the assault of the enemy. You got to take up the shield. You got to get behind it. When was it used? When the soldiers were advancing on the enemy's stronghold. It was used when the fighting was the fiercest. That's why you need the shield of faith. Now, you might be saying, well, what does that have to do with us? Okay, I'm not a Roman foot soldier. I don't, I don't carry around a table with me to protect myself. Well, let me come back to that swing for just a moment. When you're at the top of the swing, just before the release, when the anticipation is the highest, that is when Satan attacks. That's when he strikes us with fear, metaphorically, right? You don't, he, he doesn't want us to trust God, right? When the soldiers are storming the walls, before they get inside the city and they start to fight in the combat, Satan's throwing his arrows at them. He doesn't want them in the city, right? He wants to take you out before the battle really begins. Where is Satan right now trying to destroy your faith in Christ? That's when you need the shield. Now, who is the shield? Well, Paul is making this point, I think. He, he's telling us that God himself is our durable shield. No matter what life throws at us, God will shield us. The shield of faith is faith in him. It's a piece of armor which shows that we need to trust in God. Throughout the Old Testament, God is described as a shield. Before he makes his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, God comes to him in a vision. What does he tell Abraham? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. What? I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Fear not. I am your shield. I will protect you no matter the challenge. When you trust me, your reward will be great. You can only move forward in faith, not fear. When we know God is with us. King David wrote about this in a song. 2 Samuel 22, David writes a song about God's deliverance from his enemies. And David, you know, we did a study on his life last year. He's got, he's got a lot of enemies. He fought a lot of battles. What does he say? He says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield. Do you believe that God is a durable shield in your life? And friends, too many of us are walking through life without the shield. Why? Why is that? Well, some of us, maybe we're lazy. Like, we, for, we forget the shield. We forget it at home. I'm, I'm prone. I get it. Others of us, we don't think the shield works. We don't think God can do what he says he can do. Instead, we run to other shields, and we quickly learn a lesson. Secular shields will crumble. Secular shields, shields apart from God, they're going to crumble. Now, I believe all of us in this room right now, we all want safety and security. And we're going to find it somewhere. If you don't find it in God, it's going to be with something else. What are the secular shields we run to? Money? Okay. As long as we have enough in the bank, in the retirement account, enough in the kids' college fund, we're shielded from tragedy, right? Affirmation. As long as people respect me and love me and adore me, I can do anything. Some of us crave affirmation. We shield ourselves with that. But that, but that shield often leads to compromise. Politics. Oh, as long as I got my candidate in office who puts forth the policies I agree with, I'm good. I'm shielded. But at the end of the day, all those secular shields are going to leave you empty. They will fail you. Friends, spiritual warfare is all about placing our trusting God as our shield, not secular shields. 
Trust God. He will carry you through like the swing. Satan wants you off the swing. He wants to keep you from trusting. He wants to get you trusting in something other than God. You got to fight back. You got to take up the shield of faith. And that shield is a powerful weapon in our arsenal. So if we're going to fight fear and wage spiritual war, we got we to gotta take it up. Now, the reason we take it up is because the darts will come. And that's point two. You have to expect the darts. Expect the darts. Now, I said at the opening, the shield of faith is the only weapon with a stated purpose. So look back at verse 16 to remind yourself. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So it's really clear. you got to expect the darts. Don't be fooled. Now, if I come back to the shield image over here for just a second, literally the image Paul is talking about here is that of a fire dart. It was designed specifically, it was engineered to fly through the air and stay on fire, right? The wind wouldn't take it out. And then when it actually came and hit its target, it was, it was meant to keep burning. In fact, if you took water and you poured water on it, it would make it burn even hotter and greater and bigger. The only way to stop that fire was to, was to pour dirt on it or to make the right preparations. And that was why they needed the calfskin, remember? They took the calfskin, which had extinguishing properties, and they wrapped the shield with it. They, they prepared for the darts to come. It, it minimized the damage. So when we take up the shield of faith, when we learn the, the play, to place our trust and hide behind the power of God and the gospel, we're safe. Well, how does that work? Early Christians believed that one of the ways Satan attacks us is by, was by injecting evil thoughts in our minds. Like they just come out of nowhere. A thought comes in, a thought comes in, a thought comes in. What, what, what kind of thoughts? Well, let me give you some examples. You can see them on the screen there. Things like discouragement and, and doubt and depression and distress, disappointment, a lot of others. But that, that gets you thinking. Those thoughts come at us like fire. So let me give you another image fire darts. What Satan does is he sends those thoughts into our minds and he lights them on fire. Now, this is a little fire dart. The ones in the ancient world were a lot bigger, but if this thing came and I had to touch my hair, I had to touch my clothes, well, it would put those on fire. The fire would get bigger and greater. But if they hit the shield of faith, they're extinguished. Satan wants to light ideas, thoughts in your mind on fire. Multiple darts could be coming and landing on top of you. He wants you to question God. He wants you to question your identity. He wants you to question your purpose in the world. Two weeks ago, we spoke about the battlefield of the mind. We need the shield of faith to extinguish those darts and protect us. That's the spiritual battle you got to fight. You got to fight it with spiritual weapons. Do you know what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 4 and 5? He lets us know the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's the shield of faith. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Where you have to fight spiritual attacks with spiritual weapons. Those fiery darts, they can create strongholds in our life if we're not careful. You've got to fight back. You've got to fight with the shield of faith and know that God is stronger. The Christian life is a battlefield. Now, if you're taking up the shield of faith and you're trying to live faithfully for Jesus, you are learning this truth. Allegiance to Jesus breeds opposition. 
Allegiance to Jesus breeds opposition. And this, I got to tell you, this is a hard reality for a lot of people because some of us think, well, I'm a Christian, right? Or I just became a Christian and all my problems are going to be solved, right? We're Christians. I'm not going to have any problems with money. I mean, all my needs are going to be met exactly when I think they should be met. I'm a Christian, right? My family will never get in a fight. We're Christians. We're Christians, right? I will be confident all the time. The reality is this, friends. Once you decide to live for Jesus, your life will get harder because you are now a threat to Satan. Remember, he wants to get you off the swing. He wants... He, he doesn't want you advancing the walls of his city with the shield of faith raised. He doesn't want you behind that shield. He wants to get you out and attack you. So he's going to fight back harder. How's he going to do that? He's going to attack your reputation. He's going to attack your relationships. He's going to attack your resilience to follow Jesus. And we need to be prepared for those fiery darts with the shield of faith. Now, oddly, though, sometimes we don't use the shield. And I was asking myself this week, Why? I think one of the reasons we don't use the shield is because we don't expect the darts. We think, I'm a Christian, life is always going to be good. But the darts will always come, and we have to be ready. In fact, they will come when we least expect them. And they sting. Let me give you an illustration. A few weeks ago, um, I was out in my yard trimming my bush, really proud of myself for being manly. And uh, I had had this new battery-powered trimmer that I can go anywhere in the yard. I, you know, I'll go out there. I was trimming this bush. I was cutting the top. I'm like, that's right. That looks great. I'm an artist. Cutting the sides. It's really well manicured, right? I'm, I'm taking a step back, really proud of myself. And then I see the bottom. I got to cut the bottom. So I start to get the, the trimmer down there, and I'm cutting, and I'm cutting. I'm getting in closer. And then all of a sudden, I see this flash of yellow, and I hear a buzz, <laughs> and I feel this pain in my arm. <clears throat> Yeah, <laughs> my, my, my pre- being proud of myself uh, stopped pretty quickly. I had my, my, first, my first bee sting in some time, and so I ran inside to Amanda. I started crying. I said, I'm going to die. <clears throat> See, look, come on, look at that stinger. You know, it's crazy. I knocked him off. I recoiled in pain. I ha- See, I hadn't noticed there was a nest underneath the bush. Now, fortunately, I can still take a bee sting, okay? But the point is that I didn't expect it, right? And if, if I, I wasn't prepared, if, if I had seen them, I could have shielded myself with longer sleeves or I could have gone really, really intense and gotten a whole bee suit to go out there and cut the bush. <clears throat> I didn't see the bees, even though they were there all along. Now, some of us know what it's like to be stung in life. And a bee sting is painful and itchy at best, but for some of us right now, you know it can be deadly. So the darts are the same way. They sting and they might kill us if we're susceptible. They might kill our faith. And Satan is attempting to sting us with those fiery darts. Some of us have been stung so bad, it's disorienting, right? You, you walk through a divorce, okay? You, you, you lost a job you love. You experienced a painful breakup. Your kids walked away from the faith. They won't talk with you anymore. You know what it's like to be stung. And if the venom gets in deep enough, you may even start to blame God and walk away from the faith. That's why you need the shield. Because you don't expect the darts. You don't know when they're going to come. 
Suffering is a reality of life. All of us will go through the fire. In fact, I've, wa- I've watched a lot of people walk through suffering and leave the faith. They start to say, well, why would God, would God let this happen to me? Why would a good God, you're a good God, why would a good God let this happen to me? The doubt starts to turn us against God. And that's Satan's endgame in warfare, right? He wants to get you as far away from God as he can. That is what he wants to do. Don't be fooled. Is that you today? Now, fire is an interesting image because it, it, well, since it's summertime, let me just say, I want you to think about your grill right now. Some of you right now, you might be going home after this. You, you want to cook some nice meat on, on the grill. So you fire up the grill, literally, and the fire of your grill can make your meat taste really good if you're, if you're a competent griller, okay? Um, on the other hand, if you're not, uh, it can burn your meat. All of us will walk through fiery trials in life, but God and Satan have different purposes when they use the fire. The question is, what's our response going to be? So Satan's purpose in the fire is death. Literally, Satan wants to burn us to a crisp and destroy our faith. And right now, because of your trials that you're walking through, Satan is burning your faith to a crisp. Like literally, right now. He wants to keep us far away from God. He wants to fool us. We need to expect the darts. We need to expect the fire. And when it comes, we have to resist the urge to be burned. Rather, we should ask, what's God's purpose in the fire? And God's purpose is always growth. God's purpose in the fire is growth. God always desires our good and our growth. And sometimes, sometimes God allows the trials to come. Now, it's natural to ask why. Well, the Bible offers a number of helpful images. I'll just mention two. First, there's John 15, right? The story about the vine dresser. Jesus tells the story. What's the point of suffering in that? It's about pruning. He he wants to take away the dead branches to grow our faith, right? Second, Malachi 3, there's the image of the refiner's fire. What's the purpose in that? The purpose is purification, to take away the dross away from our heart. In both cases, God wants us to grow. And these trials often come when we're about to do great things for God. Even Jesus knew this, right? After Jesus is baptized, he begins his public ministry. All the synoptic gospels record Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, However, Mark, the short one, the guy who's always like, he's, he's on the ball, he's got an interesting take. After Jesus is baptized, we read this in Mark 1. The Spirit immediately drove him, drove Jesus into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for what? For 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, did you catch that? Satan was with the wild animals animals, or other translations say the wild beasts. Like there was other dangers around him even as he was being tempted by Satan. Now Mark is writing this to Roman Christians who who would have been very familiar with the danger of animals, of lions, and all that. Does it feel right now like you're in your life, you're wrestling with the wild beasts even as you're being tempted? It's a reminder for us that there are challenges to our faith all around us. You will have trials in this life. Expect the darts. Satan's going to bring those wild beasts to you because he wants to get you off the swing. But God says, don't fear. Raise the shield of faith. Trust in the power of God. He is the one who will shield you. So how do we we battle fear in this spiritual war? Well, first, we take up the shield. Second, we expect the darts. But before we finish, we should return to the nature of faith. The shield is useless 
unless we, third, look up in faith. Look up in faith. Now, again, what is faith? What is faith? Faith is all about looking. It's all about looking. Faith is about where you fix your gaze. When troubles come, when the storms of life rage, where do you look for your help and hope? Because the thing you look to reveals where you really place your trust. Look back at the definition, Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's the conviction of things what? Not seen. You have to keep looking even though you don't see it. We receive assurance when we look in the right place. Where are you looking? That's the question. Where are you looking? Often looking up is not our first inclination. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm guilty. Rather, our first inclination is often to look down. We look down. Now, what I mean by that is not, you're not looking at your shoes. You're looking at yourself. You're looking at yourself. You look down because we think, well, I got faith in my own abilities. Nobody else can do it. I'm really strong. I'm gifted in this area. I'll figure it out. Others of us, we don't look down. We look out. <laughs> we look out. We don't trust ourselves for help, but we know how to get trusted people around us in our lives. We place our faith in those around us. However, as many of us have experienced, our friends, our family, our spouse, they fail us. They make lousy saviors, and they shouldn't be. Where are you looking? Hebrews 11.1 1 teaches us not to look down, not to look out, but to look up. But to look up. We are to look up to the object of our hope, God himself and the true Savior, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter tells us in his letter that even though we have not seen Jesus, what? We still love him. Faith in Christ comes from a personal experience with him, which forces our eyes to look up for help. And that is a threat to Satan, because Satan wants to get you looking in the wrong places for assurance, which then leads to doubt. Satan doesn't want you to look up. He wants you to look down. He wants you to look out. He wants you down and out. Remember that. You will not find assurance and help and hope when you look to yourself or others. It's only found in Jesus Christ. Too many of us right now, right now, today, we're looking for assurance in the wrong place. I'm just going to tell you. We are placing our faith in the wrong God. Where are you looking? Now, if you skip down to Hebrews chapter uh, 11, verse 6, the writer presses the importance of faith. What does he say? He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Did you hear that? Don't miss it. It's crucial to spiritual warfare. Without faith, you can't please God. Without faith... You can't please God. God loves it when we place our faith in him. God, God craves it. He wants you to draw near to him in faith. What else does the writer say? He says, we have to believe God exists. We got to believe God exists. Now, I feel compelled to make a strong statement today. Some of us right now are living as if God doesn't exist. And I'm not trying to be offensive I'm just going to invite the Spirit to come speak to all of us right now and some, bring some conviction because he, here's, my, here's my concern as a pastor. Some of us in this room have been coming to church our whole life, right? We, we come to church. We know how to do the church thing, right? We, don't, we know how to play the game, right? But we don't really believe 
God exists. And what I mean by that is we live as functional atheists. We like the idea of God. We, we like the dopamine reward when we do our religious practices. But when the rubber meets the road, we don't really believe that God can do what he says he can do. We don't really have faith in him. Now, how do I know this? I know this because I know where I look. I know where others look. When trials come in your life, where do your eyes go, right? Yourself, others. I'll figure it out on my own. No one has to know. I'll go to that friend. They'll know what to do. Let me tell you something. Most, a lot of Christians, the last place you go when trials come, when the fiery darts are flying, the last place you go is to prayer. We get down on our knees not as the first option but as a last resort because we do that because nothing else worked. Man, the writer of Hebrews tells us that you have to truly believe God is who he says he is, and you have to run to him. You have to draw near to him. You've got to take up the shield of faith. That's what Paul's talking about. Faith is all about getting behind the shield. Who's the shield? Get behind him. Don't look down. Don't look out. Look up. Look up, because God wants to build your faith. God wants to build your faith. And the question is, how does God build my faith? Well, many times it comes in two forms. First, he builds your faith in the storm, as we've kind of talked about. Right, right now, in your life, the winds are blowing hard in some areas. Lightning's flashing, thunder's crashing. You're scared. I get it. You're at the top of the swing. You're scared. You're scared. And if you're not in a storm yet, you will be. Teenagers, you will face a storm in your life. In those moments, you have a choice. You can curl up in fear or you can move forward in faith. That's the choice. You have to believe God will protect you. You need a mindset shift that God, God sends those trials to build your faith in him. He's the shield. How are you responding to the storm? Second, he builds your faith on the water, on the water. Do you remember the famous story in Matthew 14? The disciples are in a boat. On the sea, a storm begins, and in the midst of the storm, Jesus comes out to them walking on the water. They're afraid, and Jesus tells them, it's okay, it's okay. And then in the midst of the storm, he calls Peter out of the boat. He says, get out of the boat, walk to me on the water. And Peter does. He gets out of the boat, he walks to Jesus, and then he starts to sink. Do you remember why? Look at verse 29 and 30. Peter got out of the boat. Walked on the water, came to Jesus, but then he saw the wind. He was afraid and began to sink. What happened? He saw the wind. In other words, he stopped looking at Jesus. He didn't look up. He looked out. His faith was challenged. God, builds your faith on the water even when your faith fails. He's there to save us. Look at what happens next. Verse, verse 30. He says, he cried out. Peter cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? God builds your faith in the storm, and he builds your faith on the water. Where is God calling you? Each person here today, he is calling you to something. Faith is about looking up and trusting that when God calls you, he will protect you. You've got to raise the shield. You've got to get behind the shield. Get behind it. There's been many times in my life when God has called me to something. And at times it came because of a storm. 
Like my circumstances changed and I didn't have a choice. I had to trust him, right? Other times he called me out of the boat, onto the water, and he said, get out of the boat. Trust me, look up. And each time here is what I have learned. What God calls me to, he will see me through. What God calls me to, he will see me through. In fact, let's say that together. One, two, three. What God calls me to, he will see me through. Now, church, let me ask you again. Where is he calling you? Maybe right now he wants to build your faith in the storm. Maybe he wants you on the water. I don't know. Ask yourself, where is God calling me? And let me just say, again, it's scary. This is where spiritual warfare comes in. When God calls you to something in faith, that's when the fiery darts come. That's when Satan attacks. God is calling you right now at some level to do something great for him, to storm the walls of the city, and it's then that you need the shield of faith. Allow God to use you and trust that he will protect you. So I want you to picture yourself right now on that swing. Let me come back to that opening image. Again, ask yourself, where is God calling me? I don't know what he's calling you to, but I trust the Holy Spirit right now he's going to speak to you. What's your battle? Maybe you need to speak up for the truth in some area of your life. Maybe God is calling you to the mission field, and you're saying, oh my goodness, I cannot do that. God, no. No, send somebody else, not me. I can't leave my home, my family. I, I, I like where I'm at. I don't want to leave that. Maybe God's calling you to, to adopt a kid. Right? And you're saying, God, I can't, I can't adopt anybody. I, I'm too old. I already have too many kids. I, do you know how much it costs, God? Maybe God's calling you to give more money than you think you're capable of. And you say, oh, no, I can't. Mm, I won't be able to do this. I can't do that. I can't, God. Oh, I, I, but God's calling you. Where is God calling you? You're a teenager right here in the front row. You're, going, you're about to go on a mission trip this week. All right? Where's God calling you to do great things for him? Because you're going to hit a point this week, God may be bringing somebody in there, you're, you think you need to speak to them, you need to share the gospel, you need to serve, and you're going to say, oh, Johnny, it, oh, it's too scary, oh, I can't do that, it's too scary, I can't do that. Where is God calling you? In faith. He wants you to take the ride of faith. Satan wants you off the swing. What we need to do is raise the shield of faith, engage in spiritual warfare, and say, not today, Satan. I'm staying on the swing. I'm trusting in the one who will carry me. Whatever storm you go through, God will protect you. Whatever God is calling you, he will walk with you. He wants to open your eyes to faith. So let me close with that famous story in 2 Kings 6. And I think a lot of us can relate to this story. Uh, the nation of Israel, they're at war with the king of Syria. And Elisha, the prophet, he's with them, and he's offering guidance to the people of Israel. And eventually they meet for battle in the city of Dothan, way out in the middle of nowhere. The Syrian army rides to Dothan, surrounds the city. They got this huge army. They got chariots. They got soldiers. Elisha and his servant, they wake up, and this is what they see. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? Now picture this scene. Some of us right now, you might say, this feels like my life. I'm facing a trial. I'm surrounded by this army. It feels like fiery darts from the enemy are coming down on me, raining down on my head. We look up. We see those arrows. And like the young servant, we look up. We look out. We say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What does Elijah say? 
He says, verse 16, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. <laughs> and you say, what? what? What are you talking about? Like if you're the young servant right here, you look at this old guy and say, you crazy old man. What are, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Do you see this army? Right? We need to get more weapons. Or, or, or maybe we need to abandon the city. We need to run away. What? You're crazy, Elisha. Elisha says, don't look down at this army. Look, don't look at your circumstances. Look up. Look with the eyes of faith. You don't need to fear. What does he do? Verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots, a fire all around Elisha. The first thing Elisha does is pray. And in prayer, he opens his eyes in faith to see the power of God. There's an army of angels around you, like the ones ministering to Jesus. God is more powerful than the enemy. Do you see him today? Do you see the chariots? Or do your eyes need to be opened? Faith is the assurance of what? Of things not seen. You've been looking in the wrong place for help. You've got to raise the shield. You've got to get behind him and let him fight the battle. So as the worship team comes back on stage for one last song. In just a moment, I'm going to invite everybody to stand, and we're going to, we're going to do an exercise as we finish today. I don't know what you're facing, but it is something, or it will be something. There is a storm you're facing, and, and Satan's trying to destroy your faith. That's his goal. God is calling you to something, to face the opposition, and you'll face opposition from the enemy. His fiery darts are coming right now. Right now, I'm going to invite you to stand and I want you to look up. Stand and look up. And I want you to picture fiery darts, fiery arrows coming at you. And each one of you has your own. So here, again, I gave those examples before. Discouragement, doubt, depression, distress, disappointment, opposition, whatever it is. There's, there's darts that are coming for you. Satan knows where you're weak. He is attacking you. And now what I want you to do is I want you to take your arm like this. Okay, and picture yourself strapping on the shield. So take your other arm, strap on the shield, all right? All right, and in just a moment, what I want you to do is I want you to picture those arrows coming down at you, and then when I count to three, I want you to raise up the shield like this and just picture yourself like, like the soldier with the arrows raining down on you, okay? So in a second, I want you to get behind the shield and feel God's power protecting you as you move forward, not in fear, but in faith. Not in fear, but in faith. Okay, so let's, let's do this. We're going to picture the arrows. Look up right now. The arrows are coming. Whatever they are for you, they're raining down on top of you. What is it? Look up. Look up. Look and see those arrows. Those flaming darts are coming for you. What are they? And now on the count of three, I want you to raise the shield of faith. One, two, three. Lift up the shield. Lift it up, lift it up, lift it up. Get behind the shield. They're hitting your shield. They're continuing to come. Stay behind the shield. They're coming. What are those arrows? Stay behind the shield. And now I want you to lower the shield and look at the front. How many arrows are there? 
And I want you to picture them extinguished. Because that is the power of the gospel. That is the power of God. He wants to build your faith in him. Raise the shield this week. Let the Lord open your eyes. Let him help your unbelief. Take up the shield. Expect the darts. Look up in faith. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, and we, we know, Lord, that you have given us the weapons as gifts to fight this spiritual war. Father, I don't know, again, what everybody's darts are that are coming at them, Lord, but I do know you want to build our faith. I do know that you are the shield who stands in front of us and the opposition. I do know that we are called to push back the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light. So, Lord, would you come and minister to us right now, Holy Spirit? And would you build our faith in you? In Jesus' name, amen.